Red rum, red rum. Hello, everybody. Happy New Year. It's 2021. Uh, this is our first podcast of the year. This is episode number 14, and we are covering The Shining. Um, the original shiny for the original shining from 1980 the stanley kubrick version this is a movie let's see here i know they eventually there was like a tv special Mm -hmm. it's been done a few times but this is the 1980 version so let's start you've already heard from justin that didn't take long hello justin how are you as you know (laughs) by now uh good to be back jared thanks for having me uh and uh looking forward to talking about this one it was a uh, it was a, a good classic to revisit, so I'm excited. So Justin is, well, I should introduce myself. I'm Jared. Uh, I always get these introductions just all out of whack. You'd think by now I'd have it down to a science, but no. Uh, I'm Jared, super horror movie nerd. Um, always loved horror movies, so we started this podcast. We're here with my brother, Justin, who we just talked to, and his wife, my sister-in-law, which is Mia. Hello, Mia. Hi, Jared. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing fine. Thank you. Uh, so, wow. 14 episodes in and we're doing The Shining. Now, we, we should just say up front, this movie is, you know, when I sat down to watch it, I said, I think this is a pretty long movie. How long? Whoa, it's two and a half hours. So, yeah, it's a very long movie. Typically, what we like to do is just walk through the entire plot, discussing things along the way. But I have a 24 point plot summary. And I realized there's no way we're going to get through this in one podcast. So one day I hope we can come back to The Shining and really, really go in depth. Uh, You know, I was a film student for a while, and this is one of those movies that I could just go on about forever. But today we're just going to have to try and hit a few key points. Uh, So The Shining, let's see here. It was based off the... Uh, 1977 Stephen King book, and I guess we'll start there. Have either of you ever read the book? No, I have not either. Oh, wow. So the book is great, of course. I mean, Stephen King in the 70s and into the 80s was really in his prime, in my opinion. Uh, I love the book, and Stephen King, well, before we get into the movie, the book was based off Stephen King staying at uh, the Stanley Hotel in Colorado, which we have actually all been to. Yeah. We have all been to the Stanley Hotel. Mm-hmm. Yep. I can't remember. Did we go together or separately? I can't remember if you guys, I think you guys went there before and then I went with mom and dad, didn't I? Yeah, we, well, we went uh, about a year before uh, with, uh, with Josh and Rachel um, and checked it out and went to a show did a little magic show there and had some dinner and walked around and then um um i can't remember if we were together when you saw it or not i want to say we were doing different things but if you ever get a chance go to the stanley hotel in colorado it's a pretty cool place it's um a lot smaller than the overlook hotel uh in this movie and there it's interesting how the the, the book and the movie have gone on to influence the place. They, they've started growing a little hedge maids mm-hmm. and you can really see, I mean, now there's, it's built up a little bit. You can see the towns, but you can definitely see how visiting this place before the, the town around it was built up, how, how isolated you could feel there for sure. But the movie was based off the book, 1977, three years later, 1980, the movie came out and it was written hold on it was produced directed and co-written by stanley kubrick and stephen king did you guys know he actually didn't really like this movie 
Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, very famous. And he's kind of over the years, depending on what mood he's in, he'll say different things, but he's mostly maintained that he doesn't like the movie very much, which kind of goes against popular opinion because most people would call this one of the greatest movies ever made, certainly one of the best horror movies ever made. I definitely recommend everybody read the book, but let's go back to the first time you saw this movie. Do you remember when you first saw it, how old you were? You'd both seen it before, right? Yeah, I, I thought so. Well, it had been a long time, and I can't say that I remember the first time I saw it. I remember being scared, and it is, in my mind, it's as much like a psychological thriller. Um, there are some things that uh, the Jack goes through that um, kind of like breaking down someone's mind, basically. Um, so I remember being really unsettling. The Red Rum part is unsettling, of course, as a kid, and a couple of the famous scenes. So... Yeah, I remember thinking it was long and uh, scary. I saw it in my early 20s, and I must have been uh, desensitized to it because there was really no jump scares, and it wasn't like your typical <laughs> horror movie. Well, to me, it wasn't as scary. Yeah, right? I, mean, I kept saying she didn't think it was scary. Um, yeah. She's in Stephen's King stamp, apparently. Yeah, but it wasn't as scary to to me, but I was going, that was through like my horror movie stage where I was renting a whole bunch of horror movies. And I mean, one of the other movies that I also saw during that time was like Cows of a Thousand Corpses. So it was, kind of, I was like going through all these movies and The Shining was one of them. And to me, it wasn't as scary, but it's a good psychological thriller. And a lot of the other hidden meanings are like abuse, like domestic abuse and, you know, and verbal and physical abuse of children and spouses. So that's scary within itself. Yeah. So Stephen King, if you read enough of him, you realize a lot of his books are autobiographies, really. <laughs> you know, almost every character in a lot of his books is an alcoholic. Stephen King was, of course, a uh had some substance problems of his own there for a long time so the alcoholic protagonist is something you see a lot also the the writer protagonist that's another big one (laughs) so there's a lot of stephen king stuff that that pops up here but (laughs) i i first saw this movie i don't remember when i first saw it actually but this is a movie that a long time before i ever saw it i was aware of it you know, I can remember very being very little and hearing the red rum thing. Is this one of those movies you've heard about a long time before you see it? So I think that was something, Justin, maybe you or some of your friends used to scare me with when I was little. <laughs> red rum, red rum. And that's one of the differences between the uh, between this and the novel is the whole talking with your finger thing and Tony, his friend, imaginary friend, psychic. Well, first off, let's start with that. What is Tony is Tony an actual being? Do you guys think, or is it? Well, what do you do? You have any opinion there? Tony lives in his mouth. Tony lives in his <laughs> mouth. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, just from the, the movie doesn't really resolve any of this, in my opinion. Um, so it's it's not clear. The, the The piece that makes me think it's a being is because the little Tony in his mouth seems to know that there's something wrong at the house that they're going to like he seems to sense that there's some kind of evil there or something which the boy wouldn't have any business knowing so i think i get the sense that it's like evil spirits and uh this one's kind of interacting with him what's his name again billy 
No. What's the boy's name? Tony. 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 No, Tony is the Tony's the the boy in his mouth. Oh, Danny. The boy's name. Danny. 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 Yeah. Jack Nicholson's son. So I don't know. Yeah, there are a couple ways you can interpret it. And I wish I would have had an opportunity to read the book again because, of course, there's a lot that gets changed and left out from the movie. But I do remember in the book, Tony is not a thing or person that lives inside his mouth and he doesn't talk with his his finger. Tony is like a an external person that he sees usually like from far in the distance so the kid does a great scary voice especially later on in the movie when he's really going crazy (laughs) there's something disturbing about that voice but yeah i don't know there are two ways you can interpret it you can interpret it as some sort of like uh benevolent presence that like almost like a guardian angel that lives with danny or you can uh interpret it as his interpretation of his own powers like he doesn't understand what he's doing so he gives it kind of its own name and personality and there's a lot of different ways you can interpret most of this movie well if we're not going to do the plot through this time around can we can we tackle some of these early on some of the things that are at the end that are really confusing to me too that um that they really don't resolve uh, like the picture at the end right yeah I don't know too soon to talk about that but is do you have some sense of like what the movie was trying to to pull off from the book i mean there are lots of things throughout the movie that suggest that like he has a history with this place that does that, that doesn't make any sense what do you make of that i mean is that something from the book is that what, i mean what do you think oh yeah so the ending is so first off there was actually an additional ending that came out in theaters but then was cut very shortly after by stanley kubrick so it's kind of funny that the movie was released one way and then he went nah take that out let's have it a different way so at the end of the movie let's see here what happens jack has been wow okay we'll come back because there's a lot there but basically uh danny leads danny leads jack into the hedge maze while Wendy is running around the hotel basically just seeing all the ghosts for the first time she gets out Danny tricks Jack they both get to the snow plow that Halloran has brought and they run off Jack just exhausted I guess I mean probably has a really bad concussion uh he gets lost in the hedge maze falls down and then we cut to him uh basically just frozen to death in the hedge maze the next morning there was an extra scene it was created by South Park actually yeah there was a really good one uh have you guys ever seen the simpsons treehouse of horror parody of this i think so not of this i haven't oh yeah it's one of the very one of the very early ones it's a classic but yeah everybody go see that too so before we get to the big part that justin wants to talk about there was an additional scene where Holleran is still alive and i think it's Holleran. i can't remember if it was him i haven't actually seen this but he comes to so he says that Jack's body could not be found. So that's how the ending that they cut out. And I think the reason they cut it out was because it was just, the movie's kind of ambiguous already. So having that extra layer of where did Jack's body go? Is he really dead? Was just a little bit too much. But the ending that we actually get is after Jack is dead, there's this really long shot of slowly zooming in on a picture in the hotel from 1921 of a party and at the very front there's jack implying that jack has always been there there's actually a line when he's talking to grady where jack tells him 
you are the caretaker here. <laughs> He's like, yeah. no, you're the caretaker. You've always been the caretaker. I should know because I've always been here. Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, I, I have no idea how to interpret that. You could say that, you know, the hotel kind of absorbed him is one way to one way to look into it. Uh, or that this is some sort of repeating thing that Jack is an entity that it comes back over and over again. I don't know. How did you interpret it, Justin? I don't have a good interpretation. The only thing I could come up with is that it's just that it's all a ghost story, <laughs> right? That it's like all just kind of playing out on repeat um, that he really has been there since then with, and it's just kind of like, we're getting to witness it play out over and over and over again, him kind of breaking down and Grady breaking down, but it's not really fulfilling because we know from the beginning of the movie that Grady is the one that like killed his wife and two kids. And so it doesn't, it doesn't make a lot of sense. So maybe it's all, you know, my interpretation before the picture was it's all just hallucinations from Crazy Jack. But then the photo at the end, yeah, I don't, I don't have a good interpretation of it. Well, the ending in the book is, uh, Mia, do you have anything different to say there about the ending? The problem with interpreting this is I don't think there is an actual explanation to a lot of it. So it's just there to make you think. Yeah, kind of open it in. Yeah. Yeah, no, I do not have a different interpretation other than I think it's just, my opinion is just kind of like the hotel is a black hole. You come in, you get sucked in and then part of the blackness or, you know, darkness of it all. And then it just repeats, like history repeating itself, right? Mm -hmm. Like the whole, um, what was Grady, is that the, mm -hmm. was trying to get Jack to kill, right? Kill, kill. kill. Yeah, to kill, just like kill. he had done before to be part, because they just kind of like accumulate all the ghosts in the hotel. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I think it was just like a vicious cycle over and over again. But that was my interpretation. Yeah, I mean, all those are valid. We could talk about the book again is completely different um, because there's this whole thing that goes throughout the, the book where Jack, part of his duties is he has to release pressure in the boiler room. And if he doesn't release pressure, the pressure it'll explode so he has to go and do that periodically and of course at the end of the book when he's gone crazy chasing his family around he forgets too long uh and he, he's like oh no i gotta go go fix the boiler before it explodes and he gets there and it explodes before he can fix it so that's another stephen king trope he doesn't really seem to ever know how to end books end his story so just have everything blow up at the end uh fire starter carrie this one, what else does he have? Everything blow up at the end. The running man. Yeah. So that's how the book ends, if anyone wanted to know. So this is just completely different. Does the boy and the wife escape in the book? Or do they blow up with him? Uh, yeah, they, they escape. And actually, that's where um, there's the sequel that came out. Stephen King wrote a sequel, Dr. Sleep, a few years ago. And then the movie came out last year, which... Most people seem to like it, but yeah. And also Holleran survives in the book, which is one thing that I kind of don't like about this movie. Holleran is such a cool character. He's kind of, you know, kind of unceremoniously. Whap! Yeah, well, half the movie, he, he's the one, he's the only other person who understands Danny. He teaches us a lot. Half the movie is like him trying to get to the hotel. And as soon as he gets in, bam, he's dead. <laughs> but in the book, I'm pretty sure he survives because he, he comes back. 
yeah, that was disappointing. <laughs> so with hollering too, you know, there's a couple things, you know, this is making me thinking about that. I wonder if you can, if you could make this movie this way in 2020 um, as some kind of interesting piece of it too, right? Because some of the stuff we looked at too was that um, Duvall, right? Shelley Duvall was, was really kind of not treated so well by Stanley Kubrick and, you know, they they use the n-word they show him being like very kind of domestic abusey which is really you know in the in the 90s i think we started kind of frowning on that being on film as much not to mention the 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 use of the n-word so you know is this is this a film that you think we could kind of make today even i don't know uh i know there was that special i would like to see uh it's hard to know there are certain things so first off there's a there's a lot there I want to get back to Stanley Kubrick and talk about him, but I think it's about how you present it. I mean, the use of the N-word is kind of jarring the way it's in the film because you don't just hear it once. It's said like three or four times in a row, very casually. You can still use that in movies sometimes, like Quentin Tarantino gets away with it a lot for some reason. I think Quentin Tarantino gets away with it because Samuel Jackson says it's okay. Mm-hmm. And if Samuel Jackson says it's okay, it's okay. You know, yeah. who's going to argue with him? But um, yeah, you would probably have to make it, you would have to make it more obvious that it was bad that they're saying it. To me, it's, it's not like glorifying it or anything. I mean, these are both uh, you know, we're talking to a guy who is an evil ghost who murdered his whole family. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's not like it's presenting him as a good character. And I think Jack at that point in the movie is just so like, he's just confused. He doesn't even know what's going on really. Mm-hmm. Uh, the domestic abuse stuff. I mean, yeah, that's another, that's another tricky thing. I mean, movies are more violent now than they have ever been really, but there are certain things that we get uncomfortable with. For instance, like uh, sexual violence is something that people are a little more uncomfortable with. And of course, violence against children is always something that's very taboo in films, unless it's done in a certain way. So I, I don't really know. I mean, it's it's all depends on how you go about it and plus you you never really know what people are going to jump on and get upset about right yeah the the what i found i guess jarring about the domestic abuse piece is just how realistic it was compared to like you know horror movies like slashers uh what things that are way over the top i think sometimes get a different kind of pass because they're so like far outside of the like normal but man watching him talk to wendy like goodness gracious when she comes to check on him when he's doing his writing and he's like <sighs> yeah <laughs> and he's like don't fucking come in here any fucking time you got yeah. that and it's like holy shit that is that is what domestic abuse looks like right there um, yeah it's also so she is great here because, I mean, I, this was another one of Stephen King's objections. She sort of exists almost just to be abused in this movie, where she's a little more developed in the book. And of course, she does eventually um, develop a will and stands up to him and ultimately survives and saves her son and all that. But yeah, she, the, the, her, the acting is so great because she just looks beaten down, you know? And when he starts yelling at her, instead of like yelling back or defending herself she just sort of like goes into a little beaten puppy mode she's like oh i'm sorry okay i won't bother you anymore so 
yeah, that, that's very hard to watch. And of course, his behavior is also so unpredictable, which is another part of people who have, you know, anger problems or violent problems. You never know. They'll, they'll be fine. And then suddenly they'll be screaming at you and you don't know what's going on. Right. So there's a lot going there. But I think. So I want to talk about Jack Nicholson here, because in some ways he's perfect for the role and in some ways he's terrible for the role when he goes crazy. There's no one who does crazy better than Jack Nicholson, right? And I think part of the reason that he is so crazy in this movie is not just because he's a good actor, but Stanley Kubrick was a tyrant and would, you know, sort of toy with people, I think, on set, probably in part just to get the reaction from them. So some of these scenes they would do dozens of times. I think that particular scene where he's walking up the staircase toward her, freaking out, and she's kind of like slowly backing away. I think they shot that scene like a hundred times or something. So that right? where it was one of the scenes was shot just an outrageous amount of time. Yeah, it holds, I think, the Guinness World of Records for most shots. <laughs> yeah, so I think that's part of the performances why he's acting so crazy and while um, Shelley Duvall is so upset there because they just had to do it over and over again. So they're actually emotionally disturbed, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, These were like her crying they weren't like fake crying they were like her crying they're pretty real oh i'm sure yeah i mean kubrick was uh he was a genius but he was also very difficult to work with apparently (laughs) um so yeah i think that's that's part of why it is because he actually took them to a serious bad mental place but i also want to talk a little more about jack nicholson because once he goes crazy, he's perfect. Like I was saying earlier, the problem is, and Stephen King pointed this out too, is he seems crazy from the very beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, again, the story that Stephen King wrote is not about a crazy man who snaps. It's about, you know, just a regular guy who has some problems. He is an alcoholic, but, and he's sort of seduced and driven to the edge by the hotel. But to me, did you guys notice that watching this movie that he seems crazy from the beginning so he seems like he's always on edge like they ask him a question about the scenery or something while they're driving up to the hotel and he's like on edge like you just see it on his face yeah he speaks to them yeah i agree i mean it and just in his when he has the interview too and the way he's talking about his wife and just his behavior and then when he's actually at the uh, when they show up and, and they're doing the kind of tour, he's already kind of being a little bit of a dick. So, yeah, I mean, it. Um, he, he's, he exudes kind of crazy and dickery from the very beginning. Yeah, like that interview at the very beginning, like you were saying, he seems like, from there already, but certainly later on in the movie, he seems like a person who is crazy and trying not to come across as crazy. Like his facial expressions are just kind of off, his is what he says is kind of weird it's all off and that's really that's my only real complaint about the movie is it should be the story about a man who is driven insane instead it's about a guy who's just waiting to crack and finally does you know yeah uh and in the beginning in the very beginning with how he uh, shook his son until he got hurt and because even the scene even the scenes with his wife wendy when she's talking to guess the therapist um is kind of making him out to be 
someone that's already kind of over the edge and someone mm-hmm. to be afraid of. Yeah. And that part did happen in the book where he hurts his son when he comes home drunk and that's why he quits drinking. So that that's the same. But yeah, in the book, he's just a guy who has he, he has alcohol problems. He does have anger problems, but he's not a, a crazy person or an evil person from the beginning. And that's, again, another one of the big things that Stephen had a problem with is in the movie, he's already on edge and he's just kind of pushed over the edge. In the book, it's implied that there's an evil to the hotel and Danny Shining activates the hotel, like his uh. powers or whatever it is is what really kicks the, the the Overlook Hotel into life. So that that's something that the movie doesn't capture as well, is the evil of the place and how it all ties in together with Danny. So yeah, that's my main, that's my main uh, grief with the movie, even though I love the movie, is that there are some themes that it doesn't get so well. Like, you know, the hotel seducing Jack. I want to get into the film making here, what really makes it great. And there's a lot. One of it is sound. This movie uses sound very, very well. One of the most obvious ones is Danny riding his tricycle through the hall throughout the movie. (laughs) This whole film has, some people could be bored by this movie and I can understand that as a, as a person who knows a little bit about filmmaking, it's fascinating to me, but the whole movie has this sort of hypnotic feel to you, to me at least, where you're like, nothing's really happening here, but it's really, really interesting. <laughs> and so one of them is Danny, uh, an, uh, an example of sound design is Danny riding his tricycle through the hotel. It's super, super loud. It sounds like, um, I don't know, like a machine gun or something. And as he's running, riding over the hardwood floor, it's one really loud sound and then he'll ride over the carpet it'll get a qu- little quieter then loud again the carpet loud again and there's like three scenes where danny is just riding his tricycle through the hallway <laughs> i mean i like that setup one of the things when i was re-watching it tonight that i that it made me think of is after anyone had seen the movie everyone would be i think talking about some of the like how he um ends up in 237 how he like sees the twins and so for me, part of those two, in addition to the sounds, is was kind of suspense, suspense building. So like both from like the first time you're watching where everything's normal, it, it feels like a scene that's just kind of moving the movie along a little slowly. But then what like the third time is when he starts stumbling upon some of the some of the haunted elements. Yeah, he. <laughs> OK, so let's talk about that, too. So like I said, about three times, and it had been a while since I saw it, so I kept waiting for the moment to come, and it never did, and finally, of course, it did. But you're like, oh, here's the tricycle scene. This is very famous. There's a lot of stuff in this movie that even if you've never seen the movie, you will recognize because it's been parodied. South Park, Family Guy, Simpsons. But he's riding down the hallway like three times. We just hear these loud noises, and it's, it's, (laughs) it's almost comical because it's so intense. Like he's just riding a bicycle, but it sounds like the end of the world. Probably the third time he has an encounter with the Grady twins. Now we've seen the Grady twins before at this point. Like when he first gets to the hotel, he sees them, but they don't say anything and they're gone really quickly. But this time he sees them and <laughs> the Justin or Mia, what do they, what do they say? What happens when he finally gets to talk to the twins? 
that's when they do the will you come play with us for yeah. ever and ever and ever <laughs> yeah another great example of uh sound design that there's something their voices are tweaked a little bit i think and they're just like little polite british girls and there shouldn't be anything scary about like a six-year-old british girl but yeah come play with us danny <laughs> yeah so that's one of the highlights of the movie is just how weird those twins are and also as he's looking at them it's like quick cutting between the ghosts and they're like mutilated corpses (laughs) there's some really gory stuff here but it's only like it's so short that you're not even sure what you're seeing you know so and i think if you had time to look at it it would um it would make it less scary but you're just getting a brief image and you get a feeling rather than actually knowing what you're seeing yeah that scene has a strong impact what else was another big one we got to talk about so room 237 early on in the movie it's established when dick holleran first meets danny and he's trying to get danny to talk about his shining and danny kind of hesitates but he finally goes into you're scared of this place are aren't you and holleran like gets really uncomfortable and then he just goes, what's in room 237? And oh, everybody's such a good actor in this movie. But Holleran is like, it gets really uncomfortable and pauses. And he goes, well, nothing's in room 237. But you don't have any business going there. So you just stay away, okay? So at one point in the movie, Danny's riding his tricycle and he stops and he looks at the room and he actually tries to open it, but it's locked. In the book, I remember room 237 comes up a lot. Like he's constantly being tempted to go there and thinking he shouldn't. But here he goes by at one time, it's locked. And then he's playing with his toys and a ball just rolls up out of nowhere. And he looks up to see where the ball came from. And there's room 237 with the key in it. And the door is open and unlocked. So he goes in there and he comes. We don't see what happens, but... Later, he comes down to Jack and Wendy, and he has the, like, the marks on his neck, like somebody's been choking him. Mm-hmm. And Jack goes to investigate. So he sees a beautiful, this to me is maybe, is probably the most horrifying moment in the whole movie. He sees this beautiful woman in the bathtub. And of course, in the book, this being Stephen King, the woman has an entire backstory and we learned about everything that happened to her. But here is just a beautiful woman in the bathtub. She gets out of the bathtub completely nude. It's very, it's like full frontal nudity. The camera does not cut away. It's not very subtle. And she walks up to him and they start making out. (laughs) And then he opens his eyes and he looks in the mirror and in the mirror he sees that he's actually holding this old rotting corpse of a woman <laughs> and he like runs like staggers back and she she follows him kind of like a zombie with her arms outstretched completely naked and rotting and everything and like cackling like a maniac mm-hmm. it is ugh, yeah um the first time you saw this movie you may not have seen that whole scene if you saw it on tv i don't know how they showed that on tv but yeah what did you guys think about the old rotting woman naked in in room 237 it was really creepy too i thought um at the end of it too when the when it's flashing to the corpse just kind of lifting up the water it's like a like a really kind of beat up corpse um yeah it's pretty creepy it just like engages without like 
thinking about who's this lady who's also in the hotel mm-hmm. <laughs> random person now we're gonna make out <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah and that's one of those things we're describing it that doesn't make any sense and it doesn't make any sense when you're watching it but it doesn't make sense in a good way because jack seems like i don't know again he's just he's crazy at this moment and he does he has no idea what's happening to him just the look on his face i love his expressions when he sees the naked woman he's confused and they just kind of start smiling like hey i guess i'm in a porn movie now all right you know uh (laughs) but his sort of like confusion throughout this whole movie is is really fascinating to see his acting is fantastic but then i the fact that what happens next is even more confusing because he completely freaks out and runs away screaming but he goes to wendy and he says oh there was nothing nothing there nothing there at all and in that part of the movie, that's the most normal he ever behaves in the entire film. He almost seems like a normal human being there. He's like, no, there's nothing in the room. Everything's fine. The boy just has an overactive imagination. So, again, I don't know how to interpret that. I guess Jack is, at that point, I guess he's seduced enough by the hotel that he's trying to defend it. Mm-hmm. Well, it turns dark pretty quick from that, too, though, right? Because he pretty quickly suggests to Wendy um that that danny is maybe doing it to himself and maybe they're gonna have to do something about danny which Mm. i mean what i took implied from that was do away with danny (laughs) (laughs) Um, so he does he does turn normal for a minute but then he pretty quickly uh pretty quickly turns to trying to find creative ways to kill his son at least was my was my interpretation yeah right after that is when (laughs) He gets in touch with Grady. He goes to the hotel room or the 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 gold room, I think it is, the bar scene. And there's no one there. And he like sits down and rubs his face. And when he opens his eyes, there's yeah, there's Lloyd. And Lloyd is Lloyd is creepy too. Everybody's creepy in this movie, sometimes without doing much. Lloyd just kind of like smiles and it's very intimidating. You know, he's very I think it's just his eyes are a little bit too wide, his smile's a little bit too frozen, his expressions aren't strong enough, but yeah, he gives him imaginary alcohol, or maybe it's real alcohol. I don't know. <laughs> he gets him drunk, but he uh, he eventually runs into Grady, who ha- tells him he needs to correct his family. Yeah. I corrected them, sir. <laughs> I corrected my daughters, and then I corrected my wife. Yeah. And I love Jack there being like, "I, you're Grady. You killed your family. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, we haven't talked about one of the things that makes this movie why it was very innovative at the time. Uh, you know, a while back we were talking about the um, the sound design. The directing here, of course, being Kubrick is masterful. But there was a new thing called the Steadicam. Are you guys familiar with that at all? Mm-mm. Yeah, it's one of these things I had to read an entire paper on in college. Um the steady cam is like a head a handheld camera that is also attached to your body, so it um, minimizes the shakiness of the camera. So it it works like a handheld camera where you can carry it around and move. It's very fluid. You can walk with the camera, but the way it's designed, it minimizes the shakiness of it. And this was one of the first movies that it was really used in, and it's used very well like in the very the very first scene where jack is in the interview the camera if you look at the edges is slightly moving just a little bit it gives it that floaty feel 
I think the the use of the steady cam has a lot to do with why the movie is so, you know, I described it as hypnotic. Mm. So, yeah, technical. What are those? What are those cameras now that everyone has on their heads when they go? GoPros. Everybody's GoPros. That's what it makes me think of. So should we talk about the other bathroom scene, uh, kind of towards the end? And uh, yeah, yeah. Through? Let me set that one up. So after this, this is where Danny has, or Jack is already completely snapped after the scene where Jack, uh, the whole all work and no play, makes Jack a dull boy. Um, and about that, by the way, I just love the fact that somebody had to type that out thousands of times in a giant stack of paper. But after Jack has snapped and Wendy's hit him with a bat, she's locked him in the, what was it, the pantry, the food pantry. And then Grady comes and lets him out. <laughs> so that's kind of convenient, right? The ghost can just let you out. Then he tells her that she you know, go check on the, uh, the site, the snowplow. And he has completely destroyed the snowplow. He's destroyed the radio. So Grady lets him out. And there's, first off, there's the red rum scene, the big red rum scene where Danny is completely freaking out with his finger thing. Jack comes after them. Justin, you want to talk about it. So set it up for us. So, um, the little boy screaming, red rum, red rum, red rum, red rum over and over again and you can see in the mirror that it's murder right and so about that exact he's got the knife and you think he might stab wendy but he doesn't <laughs> he just kind of wanders around for a minute yelling red rum hysterically and then jack shows up and starts you know uh sledgehammer it's not a sledgehammer but he starts axing the door trying to get yeah. in so when he jumps up takes uh her and danny into the bathroom and locks the door and so Jack eventually gets through uh, the, the door to the apartment in the hotel and then finds his way to the, the bathroom. And Wendy uh, gets Danny out through a window, but for some reason or another, she's unable to climb out. Um, and then Jack starts kind of hammering, uh, axing, I guess, on the bathroom door. And uh, he has a couple funny lines there. Um, but there's the or, big, he pretends to be the big bad wolf. Big bad wolf, which is great. <laughs> also, Wendy uh, is like screaming hysterically with each axe coming down. Yeah. Like, ah! She's like screaming. And then he does what, what is to me is the most, the scene that before I like paid attention closer to the movie was the scene that I most associated with this movie is Jack Nicholson peers through the, the broken door and says, here's Johnny. And, um, and then he like, he reaches in right to unlock the door and she takes the knife and kind of comes downward and cuts his hand with it. And then he runs away. Yeah. Um, so well, the reason he runs away is because that's the exact moment that Holleran shows up in the hotel. So he hears Holleran and goes after him. But yeah, that's, that's a classic scene first off i think that's kubrick made him actually axe down a door <laughs> because he's swinging that axe hard and he's actually cutting into the door so yeah i think they really said take this axe and cut down the door and he probably had to do it a hundred times so <laughs> but yeah that's a classic i don't know why again it's kind of a comical moment why do you think that is the most famous um moment of this movie why is here's johnny the most famous of all the weird stuff in this movie 
Well, I think it's, uh, so one, like the bathroom couldn't be it, right? Because it's a nude woman. So you can't be like plastering nude women around for memes everywhere. Like that wasn't going to be the most famous parodied thing. And uh, the red rum stuff comes in and the twins come in like a close second and third. But I think it's because his fucking face is outrageous yeah, and so yeah. he pushes it through and he's like you know he's looking his eyes from left to right and he's like here's johnny and uh but just the picture of that i think goes as as in terms of conveying what's going on yeah better his face there than probably the the um the other scenes yeah his acting is so amazing and yeah you're probably right i mean he sticks his face through a shattered door and he's just complete all humanity is gone from him at that point right it's great but okay i'm gonna admit something here um maybe i'm just kind of have a morbid sense of humor but is jack not kind of funny throughout this movie even when he's like very dangerous there's something hilarious about him even in the scene where he's like chasing wendy up the stairs he's so crazy that it's almost funny you know, Wendy, darling, love of my life. <laughs> I think he's kind of funny. I don't know. I think he's, I think he's funny, but in like, <laughs> like a, like a, the Joker kind of way. like. Yeah. Uh, and of course, he did become the Joker, right? He did. Yeah. He did become the Joker, yeah. didn't yeah. he? And you can see why. You can totally see why he became the Joker after this movie. I mean, I think what they were thinking of casting the joker it was like okay we need somebody who's like unpredictable completely crazy uh did anybody see the shining yeah let's get jack nicholson <laughs> and uh um, he's supposed to, i haven't seen it but uh one who flew over the cuckoo's nest is he's supposed to do a pretty good job being the crazy man too yeah that's another reason that uh king didn't like him being cast was because after seeing after that movie everyone knew he would be crazy in this movie so I haven't seen that yet, but yeah, that's a very famous one I'd like to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he is just so, so over the top. It's maybe the first time you watch it, it's more scary. But after seeing it a few times, watching it now, his acting is just so intense that it's it's comical. Like, how do you do that? It has to be exhausting. <laughs> yeah, and showed you all too, man. I mean, they just, they really... They really crushed it so well yeah. even the kid i think his name is i think his name is actually danny lloyd um oh. well the actor the kid actor does a good job too apparently he didn't know kind of like linda blair and the exorcist he didn't know he was making a horror movie mm-hmm. you know they had to be kind of selective about how they did it so <laughs> justin yeah. I, th- I think you were about to say something there did i cut you off yeah, so I I, uh, I really like this this bathroom scene, and one of the things that I was thinking about as I was watching it was like, what do you like from a from the character standpoint, from uh, from Wendy's perspective, what do you what do you do then, right? So like she pushes Danny out, and then she like slices his arm. But I was wondering if if either of you had any thoughts on like you know you're in Wendy's position, how the hell do you get out of that situation? Slicing his arm was a reasonable choice. Yeah. Mia, do you want to take, I have some thoughts there. Mia, do you want to take that one first? <laughs> um, I don't know. Well, I think I would have looked for more creative ways to get out of the bathroom before it got to that point. I think um, I would have looked at whatever I could to break the window because I think it was just like, it was trapped by like snow or something like that. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know, creative ways to maybe get out. Um, but like definitely using my weapon, like 
a knife or you know i don't know that she was in the bathroom find creative ways to really do it but um yeah she had the knife and she went for it that's definitely what i would go for yeah i think so the problem is she i think the window is just because of all the frost i mean it's a we haven't mentioned this all takes place in a terrible snowstorm um but I, I think the window is just frozen. She can't get it open all the way. But I think in that situation with the adrenaline you would have, you get the window open in real life. But <laughs> um, So there are two approaches to, uh, you know, everybody knows the fight or flight response. Uh, another thing is people do actually, it's infuriating to see it in a movie when somebody just shuts down with fear but that does happen sometimes uh in real life when people are just so overwhelmed their nervous system just shuts down i think in that scene she either in real life she would either find the strength to open the window or she just goes mad and stabs him to death right Mm. but who knows i've never been in that situation unless you've been in that situation i don't think you ever you ever really know how you would react to something like that until you've been there and I think she generally really loves her husband, even though he's such a dick, mm-hmm. right? That it's because of his substance abuse and his anger management and problems. But she generally loves him, wants to go on walks with him. I mean, you see that genuine love come across by Shelley Duvall. It's just, he's just so crazy and into that madness that he can't see clearly anymore. So that's right. the reasons why she doesn't really go yeah that's one of the reasons why i think some people would criticize the movie is she does actually uh love him and in the book it's built up we see more of him before he goes insane but in the movie of course he's he's crazy and abusive throughout the entire movie so that makes more sense in the context of the book her actually kind of loving her husband and still wanting him to be okay even though he's he's kind of losing it so you don't feel very sympathetic for him no, there, there's not much sympathy in uh, in the movie, which is kind of an oversimplification, uh, unfortunately. But oh my goodness, is there anything <laughs> anything else? We we covered a lot of the main scenes. Oh, there is one last thing I want to talk about. It's kind of maybe a little uh, insignificant, but the character of Halloran. I just want to talk about him for a minute because I love him. Again, what is that? Uh, he's the acted by the singer um, Scatman something Scatman Crothers. Yeah. Uh, I love him. And I love the fact that when it, it goes to his hotel room or not his hotel room, his house. Do you guys remember what the weird stuff about that scene? Oh yeah. When they go, when you go to his house with, <laughs> with the art. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's great. I mean, I, I mean, Stanley, Stanley Kubrick was clearly white. Um, we should start with that because this is such a caricature of like a black man in Miami's home. <laughs> but there's just these beautiful nude black women paintings above his bed and above his TV. <laughs> yeah. And I like it. To, it it's a, Kubrick had a reason for why he does this, right? He does these things on purpose. Nothing is an accident in his film. So I would love to sit down and be like, why did you put that there? There's not just one new, first off, he's watching TV and the camera pulls back. And as the camera pulls back, you could see this mm-hmm. naked woman uh, <laughs> above uh, above his TV. And then it happens again. It comes to him on his bed. It pulls back again. And there's another naked woman above his bed. So he just has two, two large... Um, pictures of 
completely nude women in his room that are like revealed in a comical fashion. It doesn't contribute to anything, but it's it's, it's cool. definitely entertaining. <laughs> I don't know. That needed to be brought up because I thought it was funny. So what do you think this um you know is is running down? What do you think the movie's like main strengths are? Like what was this like what was the thing that made you really like this film? Why is it a classic? Yeah, well, first off, when the movie came out, it was financially successful. Let's see here. I have the numbers. I think it had a budget. Um, box Office Mojo said it had a box uh, a budget of nineteen million and a box office return of forty seven million, which for the time is pretty good. It had mixed reviews at the time, but of course now it's become the biggest. Uh, it's very well regarded on IMDb. It was the second highest ranked horror movie ever just behind psycho a score of 8.4 out of 10 uh, on rotten tomatoes it's 84 percent fresh with a 93 percent audience score so why is it so highly rated um i don't know i'm not i'm surprised that modern audiences actually still consider it so high i think there's a little bit of group think there where everyone knows it's a great movie, so everyone says it's a great movie. Um, I do think it's a great movie. I don't think it's quite as good as the reputation it has, but I do like it. I like, um, I think we've already touched on most of the reasons why I like it. The acting is so entertaining. Stanley Kubrick is a genius for all his flaws. He made incredible art. The sound design, um, the cinematography, uh, it, it all just comes together to create this sort of, the word I've used is hypnotic or dreamy state that you kind of just drift drift through, you know. So, what about you, man? What do you think? Why do people like this so much? Um, I'm not sure. I think it's with the group kind of like uh, mentality of this movie is definitely a classic based on you know because it made a classic back then and now it's still a classic. It's based on its reputation. Um, I actually. Actually, also really like the film, uh, filmography, and I think it was some of the acting felt like a little bit over the top, but I think they did really. You could generally tell she was terrified, and he played insane really well. So I think those are my opinions. yeah. He crushed the eyebrows, man. I mean, uh, Jack Nicholson's eyebrows should get the Oscar for this. I mean, his eyebrows were outrageous all the time. Oh, yeah. His eyes are up, 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 down, 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 up, 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 yeah. up, down, down. And he's not just, it's not just the eyebrows. That's a big part of it. But he's doing, like, he's always, like, doing weird things with his lips or his tongue or, yeah, it, it's always, it always changes. And it's never just, it's never just over the top. It's always, like, appropriate. Like, he... He's crazy sometimes completely violent. He's crazy, like, confused. He's, uh, yeah. yeah, and then it'll change in a scene. <laughs> so, yeah. It, yeah, it's great. But, oh, The Shining. Like I said, I want to come back to this one and break it down scene by scene one day. But that would, maybe we can do, like, a two or three part um, look at this. Because, like I said, yeah, I have. That would be fun. Yeah. But this this time, I just kind of wanted to hit the the main points: the music, the the cinematography, the acting, some of the big scenes. So, 
it's quite a task to take on the shining. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, go read the book, everybody. Please read the book. It's fantastic. I love Stephen King, but it's definitely one of his best. Any last words on The Shining before we talk about what we're doing next? I think we've covered a good bit of it. No, I think one of the things that whenever I first watched it, I must not been paying attention enough where I didn't realize The Shining was the, uh, what is it, the, like, sixth well, sense. Or yeah, the, like the power the boys the power had. The yeah. The, yeah. yeah. I like to, I, I think it, I mean, Jack Nicholson just crushes. I mean, it's just so classic Jack Nicholson um, that it's amazing. Um, so, yeah, it is long. Um, and a modern audience, like with some of the other movies we've seen, um, are going to have a hard time sitting through two and a half hours. I've, I've watched it recently with a group of people, and it's really hard to keep everybody's attention for two and a half hours. So it will be hard for a modern audience. But to really get the payoff, you you have to kind of push through some of the longer scenes to kind of watch his breakdown and fully appreciate it and, and uh, Wendy's response. And I, I think it's worth watching, but I would also agree with you, Jared, that it's probably not the second best horror movie of all time. Um, I think. No, I don't think so. Uh, It's, it's good. And it's Kubrick. um, But yeah, you're right. It's not even Kubrick's best. No, no. I think this movie would actually really benefit, you know, eventually when movie theaters open back up. Being Please seen, give me movie theaters being again. Being <laughs> seen in a movie theater because you get the whole experience with the audio really and the screen and being fully immersed compared to like watching it at home. Right? Yeah, there's a lot that on a big screen would be great. So, I mean, another thing about Kubrick is the set design is really top notch. Everything is visually interesting. Uh, even from the beginning of the movie, we didn't talk about this, but it starts off with, you know, those helicopter shots of just the, the car driving through the mountains. Um, that would be great to see on on a big screen. But yeah, this is a movie. Uh, part of it is I think it's the way we watch movies. We kind of watch movies in a very ADD way. Like when you watch this movie, turn off the lights, turn off your cell phone, sit on the couch and just watch the movie and let yourself get sucked in. If you're kind of half watching, then you're going to miss a lot and it won't be as good. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, go see it. It's great. Um, what we got next, man? What do we got next? What's our plan? <laughs> uh, next up, we're going back. So this was 1980. We are going back. Oh, God, we're going back over 100 years uh, to Nosferatu. Nosferatu, the, the classic with Max Schreck, black and white silent film. What year was that? Was that 19? Was it 2022 or 12? I'm getting, yeah, it is 22. So, yes, almost 100 years old. Uh, Kind of like our second Dracula one, right? We already, well, we didn't cover Dracula. We did Frankenstein. We'll have to do Dracula at some point. But yeah, Nosferatu will be coming up next. So, with that, oh, let's wind down, everybody. Go, oh, check us out on Facebook, everybody. The Rabid Weasel, Rabid Weasel Reviews is the Facebook page. We're about to have up a fancy new logo. It'll be really pretty. Logo! (laughs) Send us your comments, like our page. Send in requests for some things you want to hear us talk about. Um, And with that, any last words, everybody? Or is it time to say goodbye? It's time to say goodbye. 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 Is that from Family Guy? What is Uh, it? It's a parody of something. 
Goodbye. Yeah, it's in Family Guy. But Family Guy parried it from somewhere. All right, we're done. Oh, <laughs> good to see you, buddy. Thanks. Uh, goodbye, everybody. See you next time. Bye, everyone.